Well, welcome to South City Church. We're so glad that you're here. If this is the first time for you to be here, we're so honored that you're with us. Thanks for coming. There's a lot of places to go to church, and we're just so blessed and thankful that you came to be with us today. We hope you feel like family. That's the way we want you to feel. Well, we've been in a series in the book of Acts. It's called The Story of the Church. Uh, it sits right after the Gospels of Jesus, after the life death and resurrection of Jesus, we have this story of what happens when God begins to develop who we are, the church. It's found in the book of Acts, and uh, we, we kind of had a season where we went through the first three chapters uh, of the book of Acts, and I kind of did a recap last week, and uh, this week we'll be getting back into our story starting in chapter four. Now, listen, this, if you're like me, uh, this story, it just keeps getting better. We know it's a dynamic story, right? I mean, Chapter 1, we see Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples watch him go. Uh, but before he goes, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and he's going to give you power. And before that, he had said, listen, go into all the world and make disciples. Remember when he said that? So now we knew what Jesus wanted us to do. And when he says the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to have power to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the world, we're seeing at that point how we're going to do it. We know what he wants us to do. Now he says, this is how you're going to do it, through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And then we get into my favorite chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 2, right? We see the Holy Spirit come in power and might, sound of a mighty rushing wind. All of Jerusalem hears it. They're drawn to this. And then we see fire come up on top of every believer. And it signifies the fact that Jesus has been crucified and torn the veil from top to bottom. We have access to a holy God. And the fire represents his relational presence. We see that all through the Old Testament. And so we see fire lit on every believer, just representative of God saying, I'm with you, and I'm with you, and I'm with you, and we, you have access to me. We have a relationship because of Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful moment. And then we see craziness begin to take place they begin to speak in other languages right and we see in that moment that the Lord wants his church to be a multicultural diverse church we see him speak in every language in, in the known world and the first time that the gospel is preached through the church it's done so in multiple languages in multiple cultures two multiple cultures it's a beautiful beautiful moment so now God has given us, Jesus has given us the, the what he wants us to do and he's shown us before he ascends the how. Right after that we see Peter begin to preach. You know, Peter takes advantage of every opportunity he can. When he sees a crowd, he stands up and he begins to preach to all these people who've, who've come seeing this disturbance in Jerusalem. He preaches the gospel of the Messiah. Now we've heard that word a lot, right? But when he preaches it to this all-Jewish crowd, they would have known who he was talking about. The problem is, Messiah wasn't still to come. He had already come. And, Paul, and Peter says, listen, you crucified him. Jesus was Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. And you crucified him. The Bible says in chapter 2, they were cut to the heart. It just means that they took very seriously that moment, what had happened. They realized, yes, he, he did do signs and wonders. And yes, oh my gosh, we, we have murdered the Messiah, they're cut to the heart, so much so that they, they choose to take a very big step, a big step and say, you know what, um, we're going to stand out of the crowd and believe in Jesus and become a part of this church, 
and they were baptized. 3,000 of them that day on Pentecost. An amazing day, right? Amazing day for the church. We get into chapter uh, 3 or before chapter 3, we see the blueprint of kind of what these people are going to do. What is the church? What do they do? How do they exist? We see that they, in, in verse 42 through 47, chapter 2, we see that they are, they are intent upon discipleship. Uh, they want to be about community. And they want to be about authentic relationships. They want to be a generous people. And as they do that, like any of us would want to be a part of a church like that, right? And if that's the case, they begin to grow. The Holy Spirit's moving and working in this group of people. Then we see in chapter 3, Peter and John make their way out of kind of all this amazing things that the Holy Spirit is doing, amazing community and and life in this church, and they're making their way to the temple, and they see a crippled man, chapter 3. They heal the crippled man, and in doing so, it fulfills messianic prophecy, because the book of Isaiah says, the lame will leap, just as that song just said, right? The lame will leap when Messiah comes, and what did they do? Jesus heals this man through Peter, and he shows that, yes, Messiah has come. He has come. So that's kind of where we ended our story. Peter begins to preach after this miracle. People are gathered around, seeing this man literally leaping around like a deer, Isaiah says. So that's kind of where our story ended, and we get back into the story of the church in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's read it together uh, as I read it for you here. Here we go. And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I want to pause right there. We're going to have more of our text this morning, but I don't want to pause right there and just look at a few of those points, okay? Do you notice what ha- what's happening? Peter and John are standing around after he's preached and after the miracle. My gosh, I just can see him just jumping around. Nobody can keep him from jumping around. He's so excited. He's got new legs. And they're just kind of hanging out with the people, and then all of a sudden the disturbance begins to happen in the temple, doesn't it? The temple guards, the captain of the guards, they come upon him. They are angry. They are hacked off at these guys. What are you doing? Well, the question is, why would they be angry? Okay, here's why. We see in verse 13, the Bible calls Peter and John uh, common, uneducated men. Well, in the temple, you didn't have common and uneducated men teach. At least, they weren't authorized to do so, okay? They were not connected to a priestly office or a priestly family. Uh, They had no authorization to do this, and yet they had set themselves up in the very center of the Sadducees. They had set themselves up in the very center, which is the temple of the Sadducees. Now listen, this is important for you to know about the Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. So that's why in, in that verse it says that Peter and John were preaching resurrection from the dead in the name of Jesus. They also didn't believe in rewards after life like heaven, or they didn't believe in punishment like hell. They believed that every man was the master of his own domain, and that he, uh, he kind of lived his, his life the way he wanted, there was no consequences to it. So you can imagine how that, that message of theirs wasn't quite the same as Peter's message was saying, the spirit has come. They didn't believe in the spirit world. 
The Spirit has come, empowered us. Jesus has been raised from the dead. They didn't, you know, it's flying in the face of what the Sadducees believe, and they were angry. Peter and John are arrested. You might notice it says something about the evening. Well, this means that it's been a day-long affair. I mean, this, they've been there a long time. They healed the man, they preached, and now they're just hanging out, and they're arrested. And because it's so late in the day, they can't take these men before the Sanhedrin, this, this council. And so they throw them in jail. They throw them in jail. You know, this is not the first time that we've seen persecution. We saw Jesus persecuted, right? We saw him uh, tormented and tortured and beaten, ultimately crucified. But this is the first time we see kind of the church, his now, his now body on earth, being persecuted. This is the first time we see it taking place on, on, on us as the church. Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin. That would have been made up of the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, scribes, a lot of important people for the Jewish faith. And as they stood uh, or sat around in a semicircle, they would have brought Peter and John in their midst. Now listen, this is the same council that Jesus stood before. And what happened, right? They condemned Jesus to death. Now, because they were preaching a message contrary to the message of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the message of even Jewish law, they're preaching grace, they're preaching Jesus, because of that, their penalty would be a death penalty by stoning. So just, I want you to feel the seriousness of that moment for Peter and John sitting before the same council that Jesus sat before in the fact that now they could be facing their own death for preaching this gospel. Now listen, they, they knew this was coming. Jesus had promised his followers that they would be persecuted. John 15, 20 says this, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And this is what he says to do for those who persecute you. In Matthew 5, 44, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this moment, Peter and John are worried. Are we going to be condemned to death as Jesus was? We expected this, and, and the Lord has told us to pray, to pray for those who persecute you and to love your enemies. Listen, I want to just take a second to bring some awareness to the world for a moment. Did you know that in 2016, the group that was persecuted most around the world were Christians? 90,000 believers died for the cause of Christ in 2016. Take that in for a minute. Over the last 10 years, nearly a million people have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Isn't that incredible? One every six minutes. But here's the, here's the thing. God grows the church when there's persecution. I want you to look at that last verse here in our text. In verse 4, it said, Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men grew to about 5,000. Now listen, this 5,000 wouldn't have been an additional 5,000. It would have been an additional 2,000. So now the cumulative number of the believers of the church was over 5,000 people. That's just men they're counting. It's a pretty big church, right? 
And what I think is interesting is the Lord begins to grow the church so much right now in this moment and, and in this early, these early days, early months and weeks. The church is growing so fast, this is the last time we hear a number. Isn't that interesting? It's the last time we know about a number of believers because they just blew up. And Luke, he loves to give detail in his writing here at Acts. But this is the last time we hear the number because they just begin to blow up. We continue in our text in verse 5, if you read with me. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's a lot going on right here. I want us to go back up to the top of that section in verse 5. And I want us to take a look at who this council is made up of. There's Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was the uh, functioning high priest. But the reality is the reason Annas is named, is that's his father-in-law, and he's the one really that has the power. He also mentions Alexander and John, and we believe those to be um, their family. They're not really mentioned again but we believe that to be part of the high priestly family that's mentioned there in Scripture. Now, this, this council would have been made up of heads of families, uh, of Sadducees, Pharisees, tribes, different scribes, and the first question that they ask, the first thing they want to know is, okay, first of all, who gave you authority to do this? By, by what power and name have you done this? Help us to know what's going on. (laughs) Because, see, a name represented authority, and they had no authority to be there, especially to be teaching. They had no authority. So they want to know what's going on. What is this? This message that they were teaching would have been, well, it would have been countercultural to what what was being taught by those leaders. It would have been revolutionary. When I mean revolutionary, I want to mean it could have caused an uprising. The Sadducees also were very wealthy landowners. So now it begins to make sense, right? Oh, they didn't want to sell, they didn't want their property deals to go bad. They didn't want to lose money. They didn't want things to get uh, tossed up too much that their interests were messed up. So it's, it's things that have not even to do with a faith. They have to do with greed and money, like a lot of our problems today. So as they sit there, you can imagine maybe what's going on through Peter and John's mind. Are we going to die? Are we going to be sentenced to death? And this council just wants to know, who, who do you represent? Because we need to know like, where this uprising is going to come from. Who is this? What, how did you do this? And again, looking at a, a crippled man who had been healed, standing next to him. And I love this, this little scripture here in verse 8. It says, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love that it makes that comment 
before he says a word. Before he says a word. And, and you know what is awesome about this? This is exa exactly what Jesus said would happen. Look at, with me at, at Luke 12, verse 11. says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, <laughs> do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Peter's mind's going back to remember the things that Jesus said. i got to love these people. I have to pray for these people. And you know what? It's not about me. I can just be quiet. The Holy Spirit will fill me and give me the words to say in this moment. But I want to ask you, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because there's a lot of definitions, right? Well, the reality is to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to mean that you are in agreement with the Word of God, that your life is, is walked and lived out under the authority of the Word of God. It also means that you're walking in step in submission, yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, when we do those two things, He gives us the power of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us moments in our lives where we need to step up and say what we need to say. Many, many of you maybe have been in a situation, you've been witnessing or sharing something with someone who doesn't believe, and you're, you don't feel like an apologist. You're not sure how in the world you're going to make this case. But if you are in agreement with the Word of God and your life is lived under the authority of the Word of God and you are yielded to the Spirit of God, He will give you the power of God. Isn't that good? That's what we see happening with Peter. He just begins to just, he just waits. He may be praying. He may be trying to love these men. But he's yielded to the Spirit of God, and the Bible says he's filled with his power. Now listen, I, I love this because this just reminds us as believers, God's presence and his power goes before us. It's not about how good a speaker we are. It's not how good of a case we can make. It's about the power and presence of God going before us and doing the work, right? That's what we see in this moment. That's what we see. We have to be yielded, as Peter was, to the Spirit. Now, Peter says this thing that I think is interesting, and I want us to make note of it. He says, if we're to be examined, let me read his whole statement here. He says, if we're to be examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, he's, the first thing he says here, he says, if we're to be examined, I think that's interesting. And this is why I think it's interesting. Peter and John had placed themselves in the fray. They had been noticed. They had something to examine. This is what I mean. If your life is not noticed, if your neighbor down the street goes, I don't know anything about that, those people, I don't know. They, there's nothing to examine. If somebody says something at your work against God and you just kind of keep typing, there, there's nothing to be examined. But if there's moments in your life where you say, you know what, I may get this wrong but I'm going to step into the fray. I'm going, to, I'm going to love Jesus in such a way that people notice my life and I want to honor him with all that I am and with all that I say and all that I do. Listen, if you do that, if you live that way, you will begin to be examined, critiqued, 
and probably scorned. That's just the reality. So my question this morning to you and to me is, are we being examined? Are you being critiqued? Here, spiritual leaders of the day are taking this moment to examine, critique, scorn, and persecute what God is doing through Peter and John. Peter gives this message to these Jewish leaders. He says this phrase, let it be known. I love that phrase. There's power in that phrase. And in this moment, (laughs) in this moment he says, you want to know the answer? You want to know by what power, what name? Here it is. Here you go. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, when he says Nazareth, you remember the scripture that says, they, they used to say, what good can come from Nazareth? Peter's saying, I'll tell you what good comes from Nazareth. The Messiah comes from Nazareth. His name is, is Jesus. But then it, it, it kicks up a notch. He says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. Now, you could have heard a pen drop in that council. And here's the difference. It's the same message that he gave twice before, just before this, the night before. And at the day of Pentecost, he said the same message, didn't he? You crucified him. The difference is at Pentecost and the night before, people responded to that truth. But today, as far as we see, Their hearts were hardened. He says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. But then he takes it up a notch again and says, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. I love that. I love that. Let it be known, not just to you guys, but to all of Israel. This beautiful message. Yeah, you crucified him. And in that moment, listen, he puts these judges on trial in that moment. And they have to make a decision in their heart. We're going to believe this? Was Jesus Messiah or was he just a, a troublemaker? You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. It's by him this man is standing before you well and whole. You know, I just try to play this story out in my mind. I try to see, you know, kind of in my, my mind's eye what was happening. And I love, I love the movie in my head. I don't know what's going on in yours. But the movie going on in my brain is just this moment where Peter, he says these things. He preaches this message. And then he just kind of casually looks over at the crippled man, but he's not crippled anymore. He might have put his arm around him. He might have touched him. He might have walked over. And he might have been sitting. He might have patted him on those brand new legs. And what do you argue with at that point? Huh? There's nothing to argue with. There's nothing to critique. This man, we're going to find out later in the the book, in chapter 4 in Acts, that he was over 40 years old. For years, these men would have walked past this crippled man. They knew who he was. They couldn't deny that he's, he's sitting or standing whole and healed. You know, i just make this point this morning. I'm not an apologist. You know, I, I'm probably like you. I get fearful of moments where I have to try and, how am I going to 
verbally fight against these things going on on Facebook? Or how am I going to stand up for all these? You listen, here's the two things I see in this story. I I see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit before he says a word. And I see Peter show proof in a life that's been changed. Do you see that? So listen, this morning when you feel like you have to give an account or you have to uh, go in some type of verbal discussion with someone that you want to come to know the Lord or show what you believe, listen, the Holy Spirit will fill you with what to say and you need to show them a life that's been changed. And that life will be yours. Listen, some of you this morning, you could say, hey, you know what? You guys knew me. I was an alcoholic. And now I'm not. Or you might be able to say, you guys may not know this, but I used to be addicted to pornography, had a sexual addiction. Now I don't. Because God changes lives through the power and the presence in the name of Jesus. Right? He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. All we have to do is, you know, we, we don't do the miracles. We, we, we can't do it. Even Peter was saying, not me, this is Jesus that did this. But what we can do is bring attention to the change. Bring attention to what God has done. You can't argue with change. You can't do it. Let's keep reading in our text. This is our last couple of verses here. We'll just hit these again. Acts 4, verse 11 says this. Then this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now listen, I used to sit, many of you know I grew up in this church, uh, and as a kid we grew up and we would sing these great, wonderful old hymns. I love hymns. And you guys know the ones, I know Solid Rock is one that speaks about the cornerstone, and there's others that speak about the capstone, you know what I'm talking about? And I would read those phrases and those words in these hymns, and I would go, I don't know, I just keep singing. I had, what are you talking, I have no idea what you're talking about. This right here is exactly what those hymns are talking about. And for me, I didn't really get when it said, Jesus is the cornerstone, I don't know what that means. Capstone, I'm not sure. But trust me. These Jewish leaders, they would have known. When you said cornerstone, they would have gotten it. They would have known. This is how. Psalm 118. I'm going to read it for you. Verse 19 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The psalmist in this moment has written what we've already talked about, uh, messianic prophecy. He's speaking about Jesus. They would have been familiar with this psalm. And so in this moment, Peter does this masterful job of going inside their own faith and saying, guys, we all know Psalm 118. Maybe we didn't completely understand it. What is the stone that the builders rejected? I'll tell you. I'll help you understand it. It's Messiah. He came. You are the builders. You are the leaders of this Jewish community, of this temple, and you rejected him. You murdered him. You threw out the stone and buried him. But you know what, God? God said, no. 
You can reject him, but he is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of the kingdom of God. He's the foundation. He's the basis of the faith that you will believe if you'll trust. And I'll take him out of the ground. And I'll raise him up. Jesus becomes the cornerstone. You know, I, I love the fact that this, this is not just kind of a side verse. This whole section of verses in Psalm 118 speaks of salvation and righteousness only being found uh, for, through those who enter this gate of the Lord. And this gate is who? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Now listen, this is what's ironic about this. They sit in this council of men leading this nation of Israel with their rules and rigid regulations so that somehow they might have favor with God. And yet Peter and John sit here and they remind them in their own books of this messianic prophecy that the only way that they're going to receive salvation or righteousness it won't be through their good keeping of rules it'll be through this gate of God through Jesus we so often listen we so often find ourselves like the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't we we hide behind maybe our name or what we've done or our business or our bank account, our family status, our religious arrogance and pride. Don't we do the same thing? That's what they did. It's so easy to get into that thing. Oh, I just can't believe they would do that. Did you know they were hanging out with? We begin to sound like the Pharisees. We often make our jobs or our bank accounts or our moral standards the very pedestals that we look down our noses at broken people and addicts and those struggling when really, listen, we're all in that place. We're all in the desperate need of the grace and mercy of Jesus. Peter was showing this council two things. He was showing them the glory and the saving and healing power of the name of Jesus, wasn't he? And he was showing them proof. See, the thing I may not have mentioned is that at the end of the evening, Peter and John were arrested, and we don't know for sure, but it was at nighttime. They were thrown into jail, and the next thing we hear is they're, they're going to be at the Sanhedrin the next morning, and the crippled man who's been healed is with them. So likely, this man has been thrown into jail with Peter and John. Uh, that's, that's what we come up with. So in this moment, he's been in jail maybe all night with Peter and John. Now he stands with Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Peter shows them the glory, the power, the saving, healing nature of the name of Jesus, and he shows them proof. You know, we have a choice this morning as I finish up here. We have a, we have a choice just like that council, just like those men. We have to make the decision, is he Messiah? Is he the son of God? Do I, do I put all my eggs in his basket? Do I, do I trust him with all that I am, with all that I have? Or do I want to just kind of hang on with some of the things that make me feel significant? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Trust our own pedigree, our own rules, our own self-made security, 
when really we just have to trust in the name of Jesus. When I think about trusting in the name of Jesus, I, in some ways it feels beautifully empty-handed. <laughs> I had nothing to bring. God, I have nothing to bring for these people this morning. I just have Jesus. I just have the power and the presence in the name of Jesus. But let me remind you of some things in Scripture, can I? Jeremiah 10, 6 says, There is none like you, O God. You are great, and your name is great in might. And Psalm 102, 15 says, Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your, fear your glory. Proverbs 18, 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Acts 10, 43 says, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of Jesus. Listen, every... I've heard this said so many times. We live in such a, a, a politically correct culture. We're seeing leaders want every religion to be equal. We see, we want every religion just to kind of, as long as everybody can believe what they want, then that's all good. In fact, hey, you know what? Every religious road, it just, it all leads to God, right? That's kind of what the culture wants us to say, wants us to agree with. That is not what Peter is saying here. And he's speaking to a pluralistic society just as I am today. Multiple faiths, multiple religions, But listen, faith in Islam will not get you to God. Faith in Buddha, Hindu faith in all their millions of gods, and even worse this morning, your own name, your own self-righteousness, your own works, it won't get you there. Only the name of Jesus. Only his name. Culture would say, listen, as long as your, as your good works outweigh your bad works, right? You get, we'll, we'll all end up in the same place. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this the other day. I, I saw this on Facebook. Senator Bernie Sanders was interviewing a, a nominee. The nominee's name was Russell Vaught for the White House um, Office of Management and Budget. He was interviewing and questioning him. And as he was doing so, uh, Sanders was frustrated about the fact that Vaught had written an article as a Christian basically saying uh, that, you know, there is only one way to God, that every religion won't get you there, that those who don't know in Jesus will stand condemned. And Bernie Sanders couldn't, and this is all televised, you can look it up on YouTube, he couldn't believe that someone would have the gall to make such a statement in our society today. Sanders was saying, hey, I, I can't, how dare you say that only your religion is the way to God? How dare you? Are, are Muslims not, are, 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 you know, 
Are, are Buddhists not, are, are Hindus not finding their way to God? And Vought just kept saying, sir, my, my, I have a Christian worldview. In other words, no. I, I'm kind of wondering why I didn't just say that. But in other words, no. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, only the name of Jesus. It's not because we're trying to be arrogant. It's not because we're trying to elevate ourselves. In fact, the life of following Jesus is a life of self-depreciation. It's a life of giving yourself away for others. It's not a matter of trying to elevate ourselves above somebody else. It's a matter of truth. It's a matter of the truth. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. Somebody says every religious road leads to God. Listen, that's not true of any road anywhere, is it? If you want to get home today, just take any road. What? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't take any road to get to me. You can take one. And he says this about the road in Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to to life, and only a few find it. Have you found it? Will you search your heart this morning? Have you found it? When we put our trust in his name, we're saying to ourselves, we're saying to our past, we're saying to our future, he is enough. Lord, we bring nothing else to this deal. Uh, we bring nothing but brokenness. All we have is to cling to your name. Your grace forgives us. His blood covers us. He alone is the cornerstone of our faith. He alone is our salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And so as our musicians come this morning, I'll go ahead and come. I want to just close, and I, I want to say this to you. What road have you been on? <laughs> what road have you been chasing? It's just not a matter of what culture says is okay. What matters is the truth. That's the only thing that matters. And Jesus says, you know what? You can't come to the Father unless you come through me. Our culture would have us play nice. And let everybody have the same sort of, you know, faith. No. We can't have the same faith because it's not true. There's only one way. And that way is through Jesus. So this morning, what have we learned? Before we close this morning, let me just ask you, what have we learned in this first 12 verses of chapter 4? Are you, are you living in such a way that somebody notices you? Or have you just decided to kind of shelf, hunker down? People may or may not know that I believe. People may, may or may not know that I care. Hey, let's get in the fray, South City.
Let's get into the fight. Let's be noticed. Let people examine our lives, and by his mercy and grace, may they examine a love for people who don't know him. May they see a life lived to know him and to honor him and to love him when they see us. Here's the other thing we learn. Is your life yielded to God, to the Spirit of God? Have you said, Lord, I, I live my life by your word, in the presence and the power of your spirit, I yield myself to you. And when we do, he fills us. The other thing I see Peter doing, he's not drawing attention to himself. He could have, man, this could have been the moment Peter became a rock star. What did he say? Let it be known, this is not me. This has nothing to do with me. I step away from this. This is all about Jesus. Do you bring attention to yourself or do you bring it to Jesus? And the last thing this morning, are you trusting the name of Jesus for your salvation, for your hope, for your significance, for your identity this morning? Because there's no other way. There's no other way. This is what we're going to do this morning. Listen, it's going to be a little different. Kim and Kevin are our special guests today, and I've just, I've asked her to sing a song that I want us to begin to learn. I want her to teach the song to us by just singing it over us. But we're going to be down here. I'll be down here. Brother Jerry will be over here. And listen, here's the thing. If you need to deal with God about some things, if, if you need to come and just pray and say, Lord, I've made myself my God. I've made my dreams my God. I've made my bank account or my security in my job or my friends or my family, if, if you've done any of those things and you want to say, just Lord, I just, I want to come before you and ask you to forgive me. Help me to trust in your name and your name alone. Or maybe we can pray with you or explain something or help you in some way. We would love to do that. But as Kim sings this song, would you let the words and the power and presence of the Spirit of God come over you? Would you be open in your heart to what he wants to speak to you and what he wants to do in this moment? Would you do that? Pray with me. Father God, we love you. Lord, what a joy to be in your house today. Lord, how comforting to know that I don't have to bring something, God, because I have nothing to bring but brokenness. I have nothing to bring but failed attempts of trying to do something, God. And all I have to do is trust and hope in the name of Jesus. Cling to that name. Oh, and God, my life will be like the crippled man. For so long I've lived without you, and now I'm with you, Lord, and I want to dance, and I want to jump, and I want to shout, and I want to show the world that I'm not the same. And it's because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus and the power of his name alone. God, may we worship you in this moment. May we surrender all that we have and all that we are to you today. It's in Jesus' wonderful and powerful name we pray.